again, everyone, and welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 6th of April, 2013. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact info out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. Or you can go to the website, which is firearmscafe.com. On the right-hand side of the page is a Send Voicemail tab. When you click on it, you'll be able to send up to a 90-second message to me using your computer's microphone. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me for the show. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read out your comments on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, so please go there and click on those buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. These are all free. Finally, there are the forums at Gun Rights Radio Network, where I have the Firearms Cafe subforum. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Hi, Tony. This is Aaron from Colorado Springs, just giving you an update. As of March 20th, uh, the governor signed the three anti-gun bills into law, first one being a 15-round magazine limit, uh, the second one being a uh, background check uh, fee, gun tax as some people are calling it, that meaning that when you go to purchase a firearm, there's going to be an extra $5, $10, $15, we're not exactly sure uh, what the cost will be to do a background check locally instead of utilizing the NICS system, you know, free uh, federal system, not really free because everybody pays for it, but at any rate. And the final one was the uh, private transfer of uh, firearms. used to be that in the state of Colorado, as in uh, a lot of other states, if uh, you have a firearm to sell and you're selling it to a local Colorado citizen who's legal to own a firearm, you could do so without doing a background check. Well, that's now been done away with. They had to put in a 72-hour clause into that particular bill so that uh, if you were at the firing range or a buddy came over and you handed him a new pistol that you just received or rifle or shotgun, whatever the case may be, uh, you both would not now be in violation of the law. So with the 72-hour clause, if you loan a firearm to a friend or hand them a gun at the shooting range, uh, they can possess the firearm for up to 72 hours before they have to give it back, or at that point then it's considered to be a transfer, and it would have to then be subject to an FFL uh, paperwork trail. At any rate, just wanted to let you know what was going on. Appreciate the podcast, and talk to you later. Aaron, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate the update. And keep us informed on what you're hearing out there. Also, for some of you guys that are in some of these other states where a lot of draconian measures are being passed. What what are some of the things that you're hearing on the ground? What are people saying about these uh, about these laws? What are they saying about what's going to happen at the at the upcoming elections? Uh, and and we'll, we'll jump into a little bit more to Aaron's stuff here in a second, but it's unfortunate that what we're seeing is that the the charges of this and and the push for these laws are coming from one party, primarily. I'm not really seeing too many Republicans that are pushing for this stuff. And as you guys know, I have no love for the Republican Party. I have no love for the Democratic Party. 
if anything, I, you know, I, I've mentioned it many times before. I'm libertarian in my beliefs. Some of you guys agree with that. Some of you guys don't. But if we'll take all that and throw that aside, we can use just plain observation and say, who are the politicians that are putting these bills forward? Who are the politicians that are championing these bills? And who are the ones out there that are going the other way? Who are the ones who are saying, let's strengthen gun rights and let's strengthen the laws in our state to make it to where it's almost impossible for us to be infringed upon as much? I know when I say impossible, that's, that's not really an accurate statement, but you guys know what I mean. Who are those people? And I think if we just look at those and say, okay, what is the letter behind their name? Is it an R? Is it a D? Is it an I for independent? Is it an L for libertarian? Who are we seeing that is offering up legislation to ban guns and ban accessories? Because that's basically what it is. Either you're, you're for bans or you're not. And who are the people who are trying to strengthen those? What letters do they have behind their names? And I think if we just look and, and, and if, we, if we want to step back from the parties, the vast majority of this stuff is coming from the Democratic Party. That doesn't mean that friends of yours that are maybe Democrats agree with that, but we're seeing the politicians and the party pushing this agenda forward. Again, look, look at who these people are. Um, and I've talked about before that, that if, if you're in a state like Arizona, we're actually seeing things that are going through to help strengthen all All the anti-gun stuff all got knocked down. We didn't get as many strides forward as we would have liked, but we're we're gonna we're still gonna move forward. We're at least not taking steps backwards. In some states, all you're doing is just standing still, which is better than going backwards. But in a lot of states, we're seeing people that are actually going backwards. So we're seeing again states like Colorado, states like Maryland, states like Connecticut, uh, New York, California. Of course, they're always going to take steps backwards. I don't know that that really has to be the way it is, but. It is. I know that Oregon, there's some stuff that's that's uh, oddball stuff that's going on up there. And again, look at those people in those states and say, what is the letter behind their name? What party do they represent? And vote accordingly. So anyway, let's talk about a couple of the other things that Aaron was talking about. One of the things, and we and we're seeing this in other states as well. But the laws that they're pushing through, that they're ramrodding through, are so poorly written and so ill-conceived and so ill-thought-out that they're having to go back and amend them. So again, the idea where they had to do the 72-hour transfer clause to the laws that they've got in Colorado because if you're at a gun range with your brother and he picks up your rifle by accident, guess what? He broke a law. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. It should have been up to him to make sure that he's picking up his rifle and not yours. And again, the ridiculous nature of of the magazine bans, I, I really don't know how you would ever be able to enforce those laws. How would you ever be able to prove that you didn't have, that you bought those magazines or that you got the magazines after July 1st in in Colorado if you had the 30 round you know AR15 magazines how are you going to be able to prove that that person 
didn't did not have those in their possession before. And really the only way you could do it, and this is going to tie in again with the end of private, uh, the universal background check, all your magazines would have to be registered. All your firearms would have to be registered with dates of when you had them. And what they would do if they were going to do something like that, they would just say, well, it's whatever you've got as of, you know, July 1st, you come in and you can register them and you've got until, you know, let's say uh, September 1st to come in, register all your stuff and get it. And then, you know, then we'll, we'll be fine. They would give you like a grace period or something, but that's really about the only way you could do that would be to register them. Once they're registered them, just like they did with the SKS in California, they say one day it's fine, the next day it's not, and you got to get rid of it. And if you don't, they're going to come to your house. They'll get a warrant, blah, 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 in a worst-case scenario. But one of the things that that Aaron had mentioned, and I don't, I'm not sure how it actually works or how it would work, but they say that there's going to be a fee now when you're running the background check. So if you go into a gun store, and this is my understanding, Aaron, if I get this wrong, you know, let me know. So when you go into a gun store and you're going to buy, let's say, a Glock 19, it has a 15-round magazine, you're going to go in there, you're going to buy that, and you have to do the background check. And they may say, well, there's a, a 50 cent fee or, or a dollar fee. I don't know who sets the fee. Is it going to be the state? I imagine it would have to be the state. I don't know. I'm sure they were going to they would set a minimum that they would have to charge. But the the thing again that's disturbing about that is that there's a fee at all. Because what you can do is you can do an end run around, much like they did way back in nineteen was it thirty two, when they did the two hundred dollar tax stamp, which was a huge amount of money back then. So if they've got a fee that you have to pay just to get permission to buy the thing that you want to buy, if they can set the fee at $1, can they set it at 5 Can they raise it to 10 Can they raise it to 100 Can they raise it to $200? And this is just to get the check. That doesn't mean that you're guaranteed if the government then says, if ATF says no, are they going to refund you that money? And if it's a $200, $200 thing, again, you have to remember the amount of the money doesn't matter. It's the fact that they can set the fee in the first place. That's the, that's the most disturbing thing. Because ultimately, let's say if they said, well, it's a $500 fee for you to come in and buy that Glock 19. Well, the Glock 19 costs only, let's say you're going to buy a used one, and it's only going to cost $400. If you have to pay that $500 fee just for a check to see if you can get permission to get it, your $400 gun, used gun, is now a $900 used gun. How many people are going to be able to do that? And if that's the case, if they raise the fee so high to a certain level, would you then have grounds to say, look, my Second Amendment right is being infringed upon basically by the government because it's this huge it's this huge fee and I can't afford to pay the fee. Uh, so again with these laws that are that are that are so poorly written there's going to be lots of ripple effects there's going to be unintended consequences to these laws 
that they're just ramrodding through. Examples of that. Now, they sort of knew the consequence of Magpul leaving in Colorado. But there's going to be ripple effects from those. So whether or not, I think Magpul has about 250 people. Also, if anybody works for a Magpul that listens to this show or you know somebody that does, have them call in or send in an email. I'd, I'd love to hear from them and get kind of their perspective on it. Now with Magpul, they're probably paying, oh, who knows, $30-40 million a year in revenue to the state, so in taxes. That is not going to include what what their individual employees, those 250 or 300 people, what those people pay in personal income tax to the state. So if when Magpul leaves, the company's revenue or the company's tax that goes to the state goes away because they're going to be in a different state. When they leave, those jobs are going to go away. And either the people who had those jobs are either going to go with Magpul to a different state. We'll say Arizona just to, to make it easier. So those people are going to leave and they're going to go to Arizona, which means that that money goes away, goes goes with them. So that the tax money that, that the state of Colorado would have got from those people's income who work for Magpul goes away. Also, the property taxes, they go away. How the schools are funded federally when those people, if they leave and go into Arizona, those things go away because those numbers, it's all done by numbers. It's how many students you have. Those kids go away, the, that money goes away. Now, there are going to be some people that just cannot uproot. Maybe their spouse has a job somewhere else and they just they can't, they can't do it because they need income. And so they're going to try and find maybe another job there in Colorado. Um, but the one spouse has to say, because if, if, if they leave and come down to, let's say, Arizona with Magpul, maybe they don't make enough money to, uh, to feed the family, plus all the, all the uprooting they're going to have to do. Because you would have to sell your home in Colorado, buy a home here in Arizona, all that other stuff. Not everybody's going to be able to do that. So what that means is for when Magpul, if they came to Arizona, that means people in Arizona, again, are going to benefit. Because not everybody who works for Magpul now is going to be able to come down with them. So that means jobs are coming here. Again, if we look more at those ripple effects, once that money leaves, that money can't be spent in Colorado anymore. Which means as those ripples spread out, the people that had that job that no longer have that job, either the money is gone or they're gone. So they're not buying gasoline they're not buying cars, they're not buying food, they're not buying clothing, they're not going out to the movies, they're not going out to eat. All that money disappears from those local businesses. So those local businesses actually have less revenue coming in for them. So again, because those employees and that basically that money has gone out of the economy, that money doesn't go to that local businessman. So that tax money doesn't, when that, when that money gets spent there, there's taxes that are paid, again, to the state government. Those taxes are going to go away. That money goes away. So again, you, you really see a lot of the short-sightedness, and especially in the type of economy that we have now where pretty much every dollar counts. And I know that, that some people will say, look, 
you know, the states, some of these states have billion dollar budgets, you know, um, they, they raise, you know, tons and tons of money. So really even a hundred million dollars that leaves the state isn't really going to be likely to cripple them. But again, it's, it's more ripple effects as they spread out and spread out. They affect more and more people. One thing, uh, and another thing, now, now not just with those, but I'm sure you guys have heard too that there are several events and shows like trade shows and things that they're not going to have those in Colorado. They're not going to have those in Connecticut or Massachusetts or some of these places where there's really draconian laws, especially some of the like the three gun matches and things like that. They're not going to have those in Colorado anymore. So again, you're talking about, let's say if you had an event that uh, 300 people were going to show up to, and this event happens maybe once or twice a year. Those people, when they come in, they they either got to drive in, so they're going to buy gas. They either got to fly in, so they need a rental car. Uh, they still need to buy gas and, and gas up their vehicle. They've got to have a place to stay. They've got to have. They're going to have to eat. So on average, they're probably going to spend maybe a hundred, two hundred dollars at the most, maybe a hundred dollars at the least, just for for lodging and gas for for a couple of days that they're there. And if you've got three hundred people. That stuff adds up really, actually pretty quickly. You know, you've got thousands and thousands of dollars that would come into, and a lot of times, you know, they're they're doing these events maybe in some of the smaller outlying communities and towns. And, you know, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars that are not going to be pumped into that economy. And, and again, if you look at it, if you're the state, and you're saying, well, here's all these hundreds of thousands of dollars, that we're going to pour in and we're not going to get our tax. We're not going to get our tax share of that either. Now, another question I have, and I've been thinking about too, is we've heard that in Maryland, that Beretta is saying that if we, if, if, if the state of Maryland enacts basically similar draconian gun laws, we're going to leave. We're out. We'll go somewhere else. In Connecticut, I think Mossberg is there. I think Colt is there. And there's probably a couple other ones. Connecticut has enacted very draconian gun laws and, and restrictions and bans. Will there be, as, as, as Magpul is doing since they're leaving a state that has draconian gun laws, and as Beretta has said that they will do if, if they're passed in Maryland, as more and more companies do that, will we in the gun culture say, look, you need to go to a state, you need to basically vote with your dollars and vote with your feet. If, in fact, it's an area where it's it's so controlled by that party that wants to ban that we talked about before, the Democrat Party, if it's so locked down that you're never going to get Republicans or Libertarians or Independents in there that can that can change things on that local level, should we say then that company needs to leave and you need to come to a state where you can at least sell the products to your employees. You can, you can sell the products that you make. Your employees, the people that can make them, can actually possess them. Will there be pressure put on by the Second Amendment community and by the gun culture in general on companies like Mossberg, on companies like Colt, on companies like Stag Arms to say, you know what, if you're if you're staying in these states, 
we're not going to buy your products. We'll buy them from somebody else. Now look, I and, and, and there's another side of the argument that says, well, who's going who's gonna to be hurt? It's gonna, you know, eventually it's going to be the people that work for those companies who can't leave, who can't come come with the company when it goes to a different state. Those people are going to be hurt, and should should that be um, a consideration? Should that be part of it, or should the thing say, "Look, you're you know, again, if we use Magpul or, or Beretta, you know, these big giant companies." Colt and all these other things, how many millions of dollars are they putting into that state? And how many of those millions of dollars through tax revenue goes back and increases the power of those very politicians that are that are pushing through bans and pushing through restrictions and pushing through basically confiscation? Are we funding those people ultimately? And if and if and if we are by buying products from you know Smith and Wesson, Stag, whoever, if they're in one of those states, should those states then leave and come to a state, let's say like Arizona or Texas, where you have a lot of the politicians, the majority of them, not all, the majority of them support the gun culture, support the Second Amendment, and support our civil, our civil liberties and our individual rights? Because then that tax money comes here. We have a stronger economy, and what can be done to Unfortunately, the power and influence, the richer a state, the more the people who are in the legislature, who are in the state senates and our state representatives, those people, their power is going to be increased. Their sphere of influence will be increased. That's sort of just the nature of the beast. But if we have the people that are in those offices that are are people that support us and support our rights, you, you know, you kind of take that that pill. So anyway, uh, I kind of rambled on enough about that. Let me know what you guys think. It, it's it's I, I I can see, like I said, I can see both sides of the arguments. Uh, but ultimately, I think I fall for me. I fall on the side of that company needs to go out of that state and come into a state where the rights of the people aren't being suppressed because. Realistically, again, that tax revenue that's collected from those companies, the millions of dollars in tax revenue that's going to be collected by them, ultimately will go to help those politicians that are the very people that are suppressing us and repressing us. So let's go ahead and play our next bit of feedback. Hey, Tony. uh, This is New York Newbie again. Great show, as usual. Just wanted to give you a little update. I think last time I left the message, you had asked about a New York pistol permit, and I just wanted to let you know, the, um, you know, what is involved to get a pistol permit up here, as it is not the most gun-friendly state. Um, it does take quite a while, as you guys can imagine. It um, basically involves going to the uh, local licensing authority. It's by county up here, so you go to usually the sheriff or the judge's office. You pick up the application, you pay $3 for it when you pick it up, and you have to fill it out exactly as they specify. There are questions on it, like have you ever been arrested, are there any felonies on your record, have you, do you have any prior experience with firearms, well, are you a hunter, ex-military, ex-law enforcement, etc. 
You also have to have four people sign the application um, willing to be references, and then they get uh, a package in the mail that they need to complete regarding their relationship with you. And they have to be non-law enforcement and a non-relative, and they have to live within the same county. There's a bunch of other forms that have to be signed and notarized, uh, things that are release of records, uh, such as that they can uh, look at the state and county mental health records, see if you have any uh, history there, any family court um, records, if there's an order of protection out against you or, or something like that, domestic violence. Then you set up an interview uh, with the uh, county. In my county, it was the sheriff's department. And that may be a month or two out. Currently, they're uh, booking out 10 months from what I hear. When I did it, it was about two months. At the interview, they ask you questions, go over the application, you get a photo and fingerprints. And then after that's done, you basically sit and wait. You do have to take a handgun safety course at your own expense, uh, and you have to find one. They're somewhat helpful in having and um, assisting you in finding one, but um, it's not that helpful. After the handgun safety course is done, you go and submit that certificate to the uh, sheriff's department, and you wait and wait and wait. You uh, should double check to make sure that all your references have submitted their paperwork. And finally, the uh, application will get to the judge's desk and they decide whether or not you're going to have a pistol permit. In order to purchase a pistol in New York State, or even to hold a pistol in New York State, you need a pistol permit. Uh, and there's different types of pistol permits um, with various restrictions. So when I went, first went up to the gun counter and wanted to see a uh, revolver, the first thing the clerk asked was, where's your pistol permit? And when I didn't have one, they said, well, come back in, uh, when you do have one. So they will not even let you hold one. So the only way you can hold a, a pistol in New York State is with a pistol permit. In order to carry a pistol, it depends on what type of pistol permit you get. And the judge in that county decides what they're going to give you. There are several restrictions. You can have an unrestricted one, which is basically a concealed carry license, so you can carry it any, anywhere uh, that you can lawfully carry a pistol, except for federal courthouses, schools, uh, post offices, etc. The um, restrictions uh, may include things like home premises or business or just for hunting or um, target practice. I do have several friends that have um, hunting and target shooting only, so they can only bring a pistol for hunting or to and from the um, gun range. They're not allowed to carry it. Uh, most people in New York State have a restricted pistol permit. Fortunately, I was able um, to apply before more um, counties started restricting them, so I have an unrestricted, fortunately. Another thing I wanted to mention is that since getting my pistol permit and buying my handgun, um, I've noticed that it is quite a process for a new, new shooter, a new uh, gun owner, um, to own a gun. Um, I know a lot of people who grew up around guns, either hunting or, or target shooting or whatever, but it is quite different for somebody who's an adult, brand new, never held a gun before, didn't grow up around guns, doesn't, didn't know too many people who own firearms. So I've noticed it's become a process of comfort and familiarization.
people talk about, you know, when you purchase a, for a firearm, you should carry it every day and, you know, keep a round in the chamber at all times and keep it loaded. Um, I don't think they remember what it was like to be a brand spanking new um, firearm owner because it is quite intimidating in the beginning. I can definitely see how there's a process of comfort. You know, the process begins, I think, when, when you're just applying and taking a handgun safety course, which, again, because you don't have a pistol when you take the handgun safety course, you're trying to get the pistol, get a pistol permit. You cannot even touch a gun during the handgun safety course. They just show you how to handle a gun safely. That's it. There's no... Uh, range time, no nothing. Uh, you just watch an instructor safety check a handgun and go over the different parts of a handgun. Very interesting, right? Anyway, then um, shopping and buying a handgun was quite interesting as well. Um, basically, you know, because going into the local gun stores, nobody knew me because it was my first time going in. I was basically ignored, overlooked. They would talk to their little buddies who are coming in. There's a lot of hunters around here, so uh, um, most of the local gun stores uh, prefer hunters. They don't really carry that many handguns. And, and you're basically treated like an annoyance while you're there. Once I did decide and I purchased my gun and brought it home, and I gotta say, I really didn't carry it much. I just didn't have a holster for it. It you know, kind of was intimidating. Hadn't taken any practical pistol courses yet. Then as I got more comfortable handling it, you know, doing dry, uh, dry fire stuff uh, with snap caps, I just carried it around on me um, without any rounds in it, without a magazine, it, just to get used, of used to carrying the gun around. Over time, as I got more comfortable that the thing would not just go off willy-nilly, I did um, start carrying a magazine around with rounds in it. And eventually, now I, I, I carry it in a holster, magazine in, round in the chamber, safety on. But it is definitely a process. Uh, I think for those experienced shooters out there, um, it would be important if you do need a new, a new gun owner, a new shooter, to remember how um, different and how... Uh, um, foreign it is to be um, using, carrying, and, and uh, get comfortable with a firearm. It's not a natural thing. Um, I think everybody, I think a lot of the um, older shooters are, are more seasoned shooters and, and gun owners forget, you know, that it takes a long time to get comfortable with this. Um, and that's all I have to say. Do enjoy your program. I hope it keeps going. And uh, thanks for your time. New York newbie, always good to hear from you. Wow, what a nightmare. <laughs> and if, if my understanding is right from what you said, it would appear that you got a, a, an actual carry permit or an unrestricted permit. You somehow were able to get that. Um, but man, what I, I really feel sorry for you. Uh where to where do you even begin with that stuff? You know the idea of and again I, I think you had talked like we had talked about before with Aaron's uh, contribution to the show 
talking about how they were, they want to do that gun tax fee for the background check. I know you said that there was a $3 fee, I think, just for the license to be able to purchase a permit, not for a background check, just to get the license. But again, we see if the state can set the fee at $3, why can't they set it at 300 uh, And we won't rehash that stuff again. But the idea that you have to get four people and they have to fill out paperwork, and if any one of those people thinks for whatever reason or if their spouse gets to them and, and kind of, you know, in their ear and they say, well, you know, this guy's kind of a nice guy, but I don't know that he necessarily needs a gun. And if one of those person isn't a good reference for you, I guess you're done. If they kind of drag their feet on stuff, you know, you can be held up. Uh, maybe the person who would have granted it leaves that job, and now you know you get somebody who isn't going to grant you anything. Um, but I, I, why did they say they couldn't be law enforcement or military? What would? Why couldn't you know? Why not just say, well, they can't be a baker, or they can't work at Walmart and be a reference for you? And then again, you have to go through the interview process where you said, I think you had to wait two months. Other people are having to wait 10 months. Um, Again, I think there was the, I think you said, then you had to go through that handgun safety course, all this before you get your, your permits. Uh, And the idea that you can't even add a course, you can't even hold or touch a gun because you don't have the pistol permit is just, is, is ridiculous. So, uh, again, people that <laughs> that live in estates where you don't have to do this stuff, now is the time. Again, call your call your elected officials, call your state people, call your federal people, and put the pressure on them. We we see that for the most part on that federal level, they're not going to be able to get stuff through probably right now. Um, they are really, really pushing hard at certain states. Um, they're pushing for the uh, the universal uh, strengthening the universal background checks, meaning basically means an end to transfer, not necessarily an end to private sales. Which, in theory, let's say if 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 we lived in the same state and you were going to buy a gun from me, I could still privately sell it to you, but we would just probably have to go down to a gun store and pay the fee to have a, have the the uh, background check done on you and then fill out the paperwork and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. But what it would really end, effectively end, would the ability for you to transfer something or for you to will to somebody your firearms. If, for whatever reason, let's say that your uncle or your grandfather has a you know 12-gauge pump shotgun, an old Winchester and he wants to give that to you because he's like, eh, I just don't, I don't like the recoil of it anymore, blah, 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 whatever reason. Under some of these new laws, they, you couldn't. He couldn't give that to his grandson or his granddaughter or his son or his daughter or his brother without having to go down, and that would be family members, without having to go down and have that basically a record made. I mean... They say that they don't keep records of what we buy and, and, and all this stuff. I don't believe it. I, I kind of think that they're, at, at some level there is something somewhere. They get around stuff by saying, well, you know how they were able to tap everybody's email and, and all the cell phone calls. And they say it's not a violation of privacy if they record everybody's stuff. 
It's only if they look at what they've recorded that it then becomes a violation of privacy. And that's what's what you would see. And I think how they're going to maybe get around some of this stuff. And I think it was, I want to say it was maybe Maryland, where they were keeping electronic records and the way they said of, of, of uh, I think the police department was keeping records of people's gun purchases. And they re- the way they got around it is they said, well, it's not on paper, it's an electronic record. And the electronic record isn't covered by the law. Now that's I think has since been changed, but you know there's all sorts of ways. It's it's hard to to trust the people you know who we've elected to represent us to adhere to the limits that we've given them, especially when they're the people that are writing the limits. Anyway, uh, kind of on on a little bit of a different note. Uh, on what New York newbie was saying, and I th- I do think it's a, it's a very valid point that a lot of us once we've been sort of in the gun culture or we've been around guns, we really forget what it's like for a new person. Now I can't imagine a brand new shooter what they would have to go through in New York, especially when you compare it to Arizona. It, it would boggle the mind for me if if I was kind of on the fence about owning a gun and and lived in New York and I was going to have to do all that stuff, I probably wouldn't do it. Or, if you were an unscrupulous person, you would just go on the black market and you would get a gun. And you would say, you know what, I I don't care about all this nonsense. If somebody breaks into my house, I'll have it and and, uh, the chips will fall where they may and and I'll I'll pay for it. But at least I'll, I'll have the chance to remain alive. All right, well, let's go ahead with our final bit of feedback, and this is from Darren, and he's in Michigan, and he writes in, Hi, Tony. I was just listening to episode 92 of the Firearms Cafe podcast and wanted to provide some feedback. I work for a Japanese automotive supplier in the Detroit area. I am known as the gun guy at work. On many occasions, I have taken groups of my American, Japanese, Canadian, and Mexican colleagues to the shooting range. I do this as a team-building exercise and to expose as many people as I can to the fun and excitement of shooting. We start the day at my house for a review of the safety rules and familiarization with the guns. Many of the people I take out have never held a real gun prior to this, let alone shoot one. During one of my outings, my son and I had eight people cycling through one station shooting handguns and another station shooting rifles. I have an eclectic collection of firearms, so everyone gets to shoot something different and interesting. I always start with a 22 handgun or rifle, then start moving up to the 40 Smith & Wesson, HK, P2000, and the Smith & Wesson AR-15 in 5.56. The part I love to see is the look on the faces when the first person fires the AR. That is always the gun that becomes everyone's favorite. Not everyone walks away loving to shoot, but that's okay. However, I can assure you that the majority walk away with a big smile on their face and an experience they will never forget. Thanks for making my commutes more tolerable and keep up the good work. And again, that was from Darren in Michigan. You know, it brings up, uh, again, some good points. And a lot of times we ask, you know, what can I do? What can I do that's going to make a difference? What can I do that is going to change things? And I think this is a good example of how you can inoculate people to the propaganda that they're going to get from the mainstream media. And especially if it's people that really don't have a lot of experience with firearms. If you can take them out and show them a good time 
and show them that, yes, they fired a gun, and yes, that you have guns, you own guns, and that you're not a bad person, and you're not kind of a nut job that's portrayed on the media, then they have a different picture of what they've been spoon-fed. And they become, again, for, for lack of a better word, kind of inoculated. So they build up a little bit of resistance to some of the nonsense and the outright lies that they're going to hear from the side that wants to ban guns or the sides that have certain agendas. Because I know that a lot of people out there are very despondent, are very disappointed, are feeling that there's really nothing that can be done on the political level. Now, I, I don't I don't believe that. I still think there's a lot that we can do on that level. But for maybe for the person who, who really just honestly believes that there is no point in contacting their representatives because their representatives aren't going to hear them, I still think you should do it anyway because, again, like, like we said, we know these people, the politicians, especially around election time, they know how to count. And if they're getting overwhelming numbers, the majority of the time they will do what keeps them in office. Sometimes there are backdoor deals and the fix is in and you really can't do too much. But what we can do is something like Darren is doing is taking people out and showing people that owning a gun doesn't make you a bad person, that owning a gun doesn't turn you into uh, you know, a rage-filled, murderous individual who's just looking to kill people. Uh, so again, I, uh, I want to thank everybody that took the time to send in some feedback. I'd love to hear from you guys. Again, let me know if you're in some of these embattled states, what you're, what you're seeing kind of on the ground, what you think maybe some good solutions might be. And again, you can either send an email, I'll read it out for you, or you can send me uh, an MP3 that you've recorded. I'll play it for you on the show. Uh, you can also go over to the website and hit on uh, SpeakPipe. That has been knocked down to 90 seconds now because it's out of uh, beta. And I really don't have enough people that use it to justify the expense of getting it to where it would be in like a 5 or a 10 minute message. So, all right, my friends, I will talk to you next time. Take care. Here we go. One step at a time, don't be living on the line. I don't need a friend, I got more than on the mind. Sunshine in my brain, making everyone complain. Radio in the heart, don't be being so strange. Think I'm losing it, baby, where you been? Everybody says that you're moving again. I don't want to be right, baby, every single night.
Superhuman strength. Houdini!